So welcome, everybody, to episode 15 of the Havana Sessions podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clelo. And today we are going to be talking about The Fool. So The Fool is a kind of archetype. The Fool on the Hill. The Fool on the Hill. The Fool's a kind of a, it, well, it's a very old archetype, but new to my personal exploration, I suppose I would say. Uh, and I feel like it goes against a lot of the things that we're taught to do to find the answer, to act like we know what we're talking about. Right. Um, so, and yeah, so I, I kind of just wanted to explore the archetype of the fool and what we can, what could it can actually bring for us. All right. Yeah. I like the fool. The fool is one of my uh, favorite archetypes. So if we kind of go from those point of view of, because there's a couple levels here, isn't it? So if we think about the archetype of the fool, and I'm thinking of how he appears in the tarot specifically, as a tarot being, um, that whole deck are about the archetypes and our interrelationship with, with them. So I'm not a big fan of the tarot in terms of predicting the future, but as a, as a wisdom tool for thinking about and interacting with um, the archetypes, it's a great it's a great wisdom tool. And the fool... And, stu- and stuff that we've kind of lost, isn't it? We, we kind of tend to marginalize this stuff and actually bringing it back into our awareness. Is yeah, I think so. I think we've marginalized it, as you're saying. So we look at the tarot and we'll say, well, that's like people trying to predict the future. And, you it's know, like that's... hokey pokey Yeah, magic. hokey pokey, <laughs> new age stuff, you know. Um, yeah. And, and even though we're marginalized, if we think about it, and I know, you know, we sometimes dip into the religious aspect, but, um, you know, this goes way back. And if you go to your, the Bible and stuff like that, it's, it's all in there in terms of it, it, is, it is a force to contend with. But I know from the sort of rational Well, mindset, I mean, I suppose the fool was a, was a key player in, in any kind of court you know, scenario, wasn't he? So he was the court jester. He was the sometimes the king's spy, or and and oftentimes the only one that was able to speak truth to power. Yeah. So it through which potentially, you know, um, is potentially true today in terms of comedians and stuff. I mean, well, yeah. Well, so. and I think from that point of view, exactly right. I think the 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 fool has occupied uh, an interesting position. So he sometimes appears as the the number zero in the tarot, so he's the, he, he can move in and amongst all of the, the space and he can in, intercede for the practical world and the mystical world. So he's kind of just this lackadaisical character. Sometimes he appears at the end of that, the major arcana, as in he's the beginning and the end. So that's sort of alpha and omega. So he's, he's the end that goes to the beginning. So he's a very powerful um, archetype, the yeah. fool. And as you, as you were just alluding to there, in terms of relationships to kings and the courts and the jesters, that was it. So the fool, there's that thin line between the fool and the wise man. So the fool was probably one of the wisest characters in the court, but he got to use his humor and his foolishness as a means of disarming people and getting to information. Um, and if we think about comedy in today's society, it's the same, isn't it? If you think about stand-up comedy, they hit to truths, don't they? It's, you yeah. know, they? And sometimes they can speak truth more than almost anybody else can. Absolutely. So they uh, they occupy a special 
stratus status um, from that point of view. But yeah, so what? I mean, for what? me, the thing that stands out first and foremost that I really want to em- embrace in this archetype yeah. is, is the invitation to embracing paradox. Okay. Because I, f- I feel in my own life like I'm often a victim of trying to find the answer or tr- for any particular problem or, you know, I, sometimes I have to work at holding paradox together. It's easier if things are straightforward right. for me. So if I either love something or I hate something or, you know, if something's right or it's wrong. And it's taken, I, I feel like I, over time I've become, I've had to work to become more comfortable with those gray areas that someone can be both, you know, well-intentioned and very cruel, for instance, at the same time. Or that, you know, so all these different paradoxes that exist, I feel like the fool kind of seems to embody them and if we think about the face of the clown for instance that he has always teardrops on one side and a happy face on the other side or that he's laughing and crying at the same time yeah. is that embracing of things that are two sides of the same coin almost and, and I, I feel like as, as more and more my experience is that that's actually the reality of life that things are often bound up together and you can't have one thing without the other thing in a way. Is that something I guess inherent not in, is it inherent in us? I'm not sure but there's this need, this drive for us to, and I think we talked about this in the past about to control, so you say that you were just saying about wanting to have things, you know, it's either this or it's that, so that makes it easier for us to <laughs> How to many of us want to make. control everything so we can relax? Yeah, That's I the greatest paradox of it all, exactly. isn't it? Um, whereas, yeah, can you embrace the ambiguity? Can you embrace this um, that instead of being either or, it's almost is both the the ignorance slash wisdom, the the foolishness slash yeah. wisdom. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't. I'm just trying to think. Why do we want? Why do we wonder? Why do we marginalize the fool now? In, in the sense, if you think of, you know, don't be a fool. Um, well, the fool isn't the king. I feel like that the king ar- archetype is embraced by our society. It's the person who has ostensibly has the power, is in control of themselves, you know, makes decisive decisions. The fool has more freedom. In, oh, indeed, think. there's lots of things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I, I really want to explore this because... The fool seems to have, to me, so much amazing potential. But thats I don't feel like that's what's worshipped, quote-unquote, in our society right now. It's like, you know. But why do you think that is? Well, I suppose, like I was saying, you know, that the power is, is uh, so enticing. So, you know, to, to see the people that are put up all over the place, you know, in social media and on the TV and blah, blah, blah that seem to have their life in control and to have power over things and to be decisive. You know, we, we get we're really impatient with people who don't know what they're doing yeah. or who seem to kind of, or seem to admit that they don't know what they're doing. I'm not sure. Because we value maybe expertise or knowledge or don't waste my time, maybe that kind of thing. Um, I'm just thinking about the, the is it, 
we fear looking foolish. I don't want to appear to be the fool. So some of that's a driven, I guess, from the sort of fear factor, as in if I do this thing, will I look foolish? But we're not comfortable with embracing appearing foolish. I mean, I think if you even think about kind of how the job market seems to work nowadays for most people, it's that people want people who have already done the job, who already have. So there's less of an embracing of the youth who is open-minded and can learn fast and can be kind of trained up. And that's for, you know, a whole host of reasons, including the fact that companies don't want to invest that kind of training in people anymore. There's no kind of apprenticeship culture anymore. But, you know, I feel like this kind of spreads out, you know. It's got its tentacles in all kinds of areas of our lives. Yeah, I think that comes down to whether the company's enlightened or not, doesn't it? Because, well, I'm only thinking about, because you, as you mentioned that, I'm thinking about my, my when I worked for General Electric. Um, and it was almost the opposite there because they were big and they were they're not anymore with this whole sort of six sigma um, and doing things differently um, they were quite looking to bring someone in that didn't bring any knowledge with them so if you think about my background you know the whole military thing I was a history major and then I went to apply for a job in an electrical engineering plant and um, I remember in the interview the the guy that was going to be my boss was like, do you have any concerns? I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about electrical engineering. And he goes, well, I'm not hiring you for that. Just all you need to know is that we build a big box and we put stuff in it. <laughs> That's all you need to know about that. I was like, okay, well, cool. Because what they were looking for was maybe what you were just alluding there. So I didn't bring any preconceived knowledge to that. Into, yeah. yeah. But do you think not, that's not, still as true as it was then? Um... I think it's coming back around again mm. because isn't there like a trend where they're looking less for MBAs and looking more for people that have um, the sort of MA as opposed to the MBA? Interesting. Yeah. Just from the sort of creative aspect, being able to think out of the box, be able to innovate. So maybe less of a mindset that set piece because of the the you know, the way technology is going and things are changing. Um, they're looking perhaps more for that. And I, I think a lot of companies now also, while they, now, there's two different types of culture. There is the saying, I want you to go ahead and innovate and to try different things. But then that's what gets said, but that's not necessarily what's rewarded. But I think companies recognize that you want to get people to think like an entrepreneur, for instance, internally. So look for ways to. I think the thing about the fool event. is, though, that he needs a lot of space. Being able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and kind of act foolish, quote unquote, hmm. with. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure that in a lot of a lot of actual real world companies at the moment that there's that space for that kind of mistake, try again, let's innovate. I mean, potentially with smaller companies or, or more enlightened companies, but... Um, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it was the trend of going that way in terms of trying to... Because companies are recognizing that they have to be more innovative and come up with different solutions. So I think there is a recognition and a need and a driver for that. Even the, even the military went through its period of being zero defect and thinking... Well, actually, if, if we make it zero defect, people are afraid to make mistakes or do things, um, then you're less effective. So they had to, yeah, you know, they did a lot to try and move 
more towards the sort of mission type order. So if I just say, here's my vision, the commander gives his commander's intent, you figure out how to make it work, guy on the ground, because you'll have the most up-to-date information versus we had come from a history where if you make a mistake, that's it, your career, you're done, you're out. And so then people were touching corners, weren't being bold, weren't, they just told the line so that I, so that you didn't make a mistake, basically. Which is something you have to... People in your organization, if we're talking from the business point of view, have to feel comfortable that they're supported if they make a decision, make a mistake. If they don't feel that, then they won't do. I mean, I, I won't mention the company that... Um, on, on here, the name, but I was done some work recently for a company where they've, they've gone backwards. As in people are... What you're saying, they're not, you know, I want to, I'm going to, one, I'm just going to do CYA, and I'm not going to do anything above and beyond, and I don't want to be the person that's made the mistake that people can then turn the blame on, and that's, and the culture was like that. If you made a tiny mistake, then that was like, then you became the center for everything that was wrong. It's that guy. This is why the whole, (laughs) this project is dying because that person didn't do that one little thing you're like well hold on a minute (laughs) is that really true but that's how it was and and you could and it was mad because you see it was just like piranhas i think i think that was the how i likened it when i was there it was like well no wolves it's like a pack of wolves they saw weakness it's like oh wolves blame it all on that person and then that person might find someone else to say well no it was them and then the wolves were just and it was mad i don't know how people you can know, survive in that kind of scenario. No, well, they're not. I think that's why a lot of companies aren't doing as well anymore. But, you know, I mean, and, you know, if you think about the, all the watchwords now in entrepreneurial kind of space that's, you know, fail and fail again. And if you haven't yeah, failed yeah. a thousand times, you know, you're not a true entrepreneur that's and right. stuff. But, you know, in that, and that's, in a way, that's amazing to hear because it does give you a bit of confidence that people that have succeeded... Well, let's bring, this, the first let's bring this back down to home for you because you have young kids. Now, how oh do you God. how do you balance out getting them to be? And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out here: productive members of society, <laughs> but also, ooh. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but also to explore and to create or to be the fool and make mistakes. How do you balance? Because they have to learn so that they can. Well, they don't have to. I'm. I'm, I'm but maybe well, they maybe inevitably that's will learn something. Yeah. <laughs> they have it to depends socialize. on what you want them to yeah. learn. I think. So yeah. How do you get them prepared to assimilate into the larger society? It's really hard because school right now is very much geared towards the targets that the government have created, passing standardized tests, and the curriculum focused around that test, and the ethos that there are right answers and wrong answers to questions which means that teachers don't have a lot of space to just explore and discuss stuff. And I think that's true in the U.S., and I think that's true here in the U.K. as well. And so it's hard to encourage your child to continue to question things and to think up their own answers. I think, to be honest, the home editors have a lot more uh, success with this kind of thing. And I think we're going to see this... I mean, you know, we... The people who are already functioning adults didn't go through an education system like we have now. There wasn't the kind of pressures that there are now. And I really believe that we don't really know what kind of adults we're creating in our children right now with this kind of system. 
all you can do as a parent, I think, is, is try and find alternative methods around it to question it and stuff. But, um, I mean, for me, in a way, the first thing I think of with The Fool is, God, you know, my own process is becoming a parent and, and becoming a parent every day because the number of times that you are literally at a complete loss and, you know, I, I don't think that there's ever been a situation in my life in which I've had such a steep learning curve that has also been so important. Right. You know, like you've never raised a kid before and suddenly there's this person and, and the things that you do, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think as a mother, you can get a bit too caught up in this one thing that I did is going to, you know, impact them for the rest of their life. No, I, you know, I would pull away from that. But, you know, things are cumulative and messages that you send again and again build up character. So for me, you know, one. embracing that that fool and and learning to really embrace the fact that I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, so or I don't know the right with answer. Your, with, your, with, your, with your children when they're trying to learn something, how does that dialogue go in um, relationship to? Um, well, there's two kinds of learning. I think. Well, I'm sure there's many, but two things that come up in my mind at the moment. One is like a factual bit of information. So, you know, my son asked me the other day, you know, where do people come from? Like, where was the first person? Or how, another question, like, how did lava get inside the earth? You know, so these are kind of scientific, how does the world yeah. work questions that you can either at some times ask, like, well, what do you think? And let that just go. And other times, kind of try to feed in bits of the world around them. So I'm assuming that you have a philosophy and you have certain rules of your household. How do you enforce those rules, but at the same time get your child to question authority and rules? Or do you? I don't know if you do. You encourage your kid to authority doesn't work with my son. A, a question if it did, I would have yeah? had a lot easier time. Okay. Yeah. You know, my older son is what I would call spirited. Right. <laughs> and uh, he questions yeah, authority naturally. You indeed, say. Indeed, he uh. has made me work really hard. And what I have found to be the most effective is when he doesn't want to do something. He actually, I, I have to go to that place of what is his experience not what is my experience because often my experience is just wash your hands yeah it's dinner time just wash your hands they're dirty and they have germs on them and he doesn't want to do it it's like simple simple stuff but if i just authoritarian mom go in you know we have a huge battle on our hands which i'll eventually win because i can you know at five years old you can put you know a lot of things in place but that's not going to be the case forever and I feel like that's not really how I want things to be so and and it's much less effective than actually voicing how he feels and teach and and through that process teaching him about his own emotional process and it's interesting because we've been working hard this is he has been a hard hard work and he's he's my Buddha and and do you think that um and if I say, you really don't want to watch your hands, you want to watch your show, your TV show, right now. You're tired of doing stuff all yeah. day that other people want you to do. You just want to eat. You're hungry. All of a sudden, if you kind of voice that to him, there's a recognition. He's like, 
Oh yeah, that is that's that is how okay. I feel. And so then, if you help and him then, to articulate his if I can go in and say I understand your point. Yeah. Once I get that recognition, he's calmed down a little bit, and right. then then I can come in and say, "Mommy's worried that you have germs on your hands that are make you sick." Right. And then he's much more likely to listen at that point because I've come over to his side rather than just said. Which sometimes I do. Right. <laughs> get, get, just get up and wash your hands. I'm so tired. I said so. Exactly so. You know, but but I think the whole process of motherhood brings out like brings out the fool because you really there's a million instances a day. I mean, I always love when people say be consistent because it's like every situation is yeah. completely different. How can you be consistent? And so there's so many times you have to embrace the fact that you really just don't know. So and you're just kind of, it's all a big experiment. You're just like the fool stepping off the cliff and the f- faith that, you know, if, you know. You how, does, how does the fool um, manifest itself? The fool as the archetype of the fool, how does it manifest itself in your life? You know, when I was thinking about this coming over, the main I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little while to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> the best fool that I could think of was Forrest Gump. Okay. Because you know, on the surface, he is the fool, right? He doesn't understand society's rules, he's simple, he asks the question that everyone thinks is the dumb question. He doesn't take anything for granted in terms of knowledge. And yet, he is the wisest of all the characters. He knows, for instance, his relationship with Jenny. You know, he gets to the heart of that, so he can't chat the kind of high-level intellect chat that she can. But in a way, he's cut through all that to the foundation of, of her. And I think that, you know, for me, I suppose that's what I want to embrace a bit more, is that understanding of... Sometimes asking the dumb... It's really scary to ask the dumb questions sometimes. You know, Forrest Gump wasn't afraid, but I, I feel sometimes like it's a bit hard. It sometimes is even a bit hard to come up with the dumb question yeah. because you're so ingrained in a certain way of thinking about things. So the one thing I would so, say about this sort of Forrest Gump character, as in... So I guess what... I'm thinking of a, it... Almost he was like a... He was a... He was simple... But, but but not aware of how he was. I suppose to say in like your court gesture of the fool Harper who is aware. He was aware. Do you there think was he was aware? Any, well, when he gets older and then he finds out that he has a son and then he says, is he smart? Hmm. And he says, he's, you know, Jenny tells him he's really smart and he starts to cry. You know, he knows that he's not... I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is a lot of things. Yes, it were, is different. In, in yeah. his relationship to the world, he saw yes. things very yes. simplistically, but not from a, you know, conscious. I'm gonna. This is how I'm gonna be because I understand that these are just fluid rules, and I don't need to play by them. And I'm gonna let them go by me, and I'm gonna march to my own drum. I think he marched his own drum without being he aware of it. That, that he yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a who's a really conscious fool, like Columbo. I mean, comedi- yeah, well, comedians. Or Columbo, remember him? 
he always played the fool as a as a detective. He always mm. seemed to be a bumbling idiot, but he was actually quite wise. But it's quite disarming of people because I think, oh, I'll dismiss him because that person's a fool. So, so how I would see Columbo different from Forrest Gump is that Columbo took that persona because it helped him to get what he wanted, and he was okay with people thinking he was a fool because it helped him. It helped, yeah, like you I mentioned think, earlier, about yeah. that they could be a spy or that kind of thing because people dismissed them, but they were actually using that as, using a, that yeah. as their ruse. You know, I mean, if I look back to certain times in my life and I think about, for instance, my time at Cambridge, I mean, I remember a friend of mine once said that when she was in a particular company, she was kind of working, climbing up the ladder, climbing up the ladder, and all of a sudden she got to a point where she just had a... And I can't remember exactly what sparked a change, but she just started to question a lot of the foundational assumptions about what was going on in that company, like why was it good to do X, Y, or Z. Mm. Um, You know... Like, so she said to me, you know, sometimes you get to a point where if you don't believe what everybody else believes, you can't really exist there anymore. And it, and that's really stuck with me because I think that's very true as certain cultures, and whether we're talking about our family culture yeah. or whether we're talking about our work culture or whatever, that, um, you know, I mean, I, I really felt like that when I was at Cambridge. There's a lot of, you know, when I was doing my doctoral degree in Cambridge, there's a lot of there's a whole ethos around how important everyone's work is. Everyone's work is very important. It's very important. Everything is important. And to question the importance of, you know, someone looking at 12th century manuscripts in Sanskrit or to question, you know, that, that it's not that it's unimportant. It's not that it's not valuable, but to have some kind of humility about the level of importance at which we're functioning here. Yeah. You know, I think in a way there was such insecurity about their importance that they, you know, there was a drumbeat about how important, how important. But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that what you're doing by looking at text, for instance, yeah. is so important, it becomes really hard to exist in that world with other people who are believing that kind of stuff. And I think that to me brings out the fool is like the fool that kind of questions the foundation that shatters the illusion of what's going on. And if you do it with humor and you can poke fun at power and get people to see through the illusion, then that's one role of the fool. But I think for me, another internal role of the fool is simply to ask that question and ask the question at all even if it's without without humor and I think there's but then you can't exist there anymore really well here's the thing where I think if you're consciously in that space so to exist in that is to have the awareness that you had but then be able to let go into the matrix you know what I'm going to plug in and I'm going to act like the rest of them because that's the only way they know how to relate but you are secure enough in who you are that you're among them but you're not one of them yeah and then you go and 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 in a sense it gives you more influence because you're in the system but outside of it but not of the system gives you a great bit more flexibility yeah yeah i mean what about you what about What's your kind of relationship to the fool? Archetype? I think for me, it's from the archi- from an archetype perspective because I flip back and forth between the fool and the magician, and I think for me, it's it's the degree of of where the 
the sort of freedom pieces. So the if you look at the fool who happens to be on the cover of Young and the Tarot, the archetypical journey, journey, a uh, book by Sally Nichols, and I'd meant to bring my, I got like three different decks of tarot cards. Um, but he's, take, he's off on a journey, and he has, actually, if you look at the picture, he's got all the staffs of power. So he's got his staff, um, the hat is a kind of a, a crown, and then there are different colors in it. So he, he actually has all the tools of, a, of the, say, the emperor or the king, but the way that he wears them, it makes him look like he's a fool, but he actually has all of that power wrapped up in it. So for me, it, it, I go to this one because a lot of the way of my being is, is what we were talking last week. I like seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake and just kind of being out on the journey. There's no... I don't need to have a destination for the journey. It is just the journey. But say the magician, the magician kind of is where you were trying to make me go <laughs> towards the end of last session. He gathers the same kind of information as the fool, but for use. Right. And to use, to be useful. Whereas the fool is just, <laughs> he's just out. He's just on this, this journey. But I suppose what you're talking about, about having enough belief in yourself that you can exist without calling upon the badges that other people need to wear to give themselves credibility. Yeah. You know, I think about um, Game of Thrones and I both don't, Tyrion... Don't give anything away. Well, no, 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 I, I won't. Seen don't it. worry. I only just but, started on Saturday. But, you know, there's, <laughs> there's two characters. There's Tyrion Lannister, who is the dwarf of a very powerful family and he's actually super intelligent and an amazing kind of diplomat yeah so he's basically my favorite character and because he has a role of the fool in that one of the court he's not the court gesture but no but he he embodies the fact that everyone always underestimates him and he's actually smarter than almost any everybody because I met him for the first time on Saturday when he was talking about embrace your dwarfness Mm. Where he was trying to tell the other kid to embrace being a bastard. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, well, it's that, isn't it? It's, it gives them more access, more freedom if people dismiss, if people underestimate if people. But actually, there's a, a lot of wisdom that's there. Yeah, yeah. I think anything that, um, you know, people are constantly underestimating people because they don't fit with the stereotype, but they can actually use that to their advantage. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I think so. And I think you have to have the... So you can go the, the other extreme, isn't it? So I could say, well, you know what? I'll just be the fool completely and totally, um, regardless of, of, of the outcome or its impact. And I guess where I'm getting with this is that it may, because you're not using it to your advantage, disadvantage you. So if you only play that... that the fool without the wisdom aspect of the fool people dismiss you and you're not even invited to the table yeah if you want to get to the table then you got to be the fool but make the people kind of say yeah invite you to the table I guess yeah I guess and the other uh, aspect of the fool that I, can't, I, I definitely want to bring in more in my own life is, is the idea of the fool as the kind of conscious or conscience, like the Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, in the court and whatever, the fools 
you know, speaking power to the king and kind of bringing in these other things and that he may need to do. Um, for me, I often find, this is just me thinking about, you know, interpersonal relationships and conversations and stuff. I'm, I'm super chatty. I always feel like I need to say something. When people come, come at me with problems or situations, I always feel like I need to say something back. And a lot of times that really isn't helpful because they don't actually want yeah. any information. And it's not even people who are coming to me in friendship, but a lot of times friends or family members or whatever, that are just wanting to use me as a mirror to complain against or tell their sounding story board. to. Yeah. Or, yeah. But, it, but a sounding board assumes that you want to hear back. Hmm. You know, whereas I think a lot of... I find that there are people who... And I, I mean, I'm sure I'm occasionally guilty of this as well, that you just, you just want to tell your story. Yeah. You don't really want to hear what the other person thinks. And I don't often, until recently, use silence as a kind of strategy That's in these the cases. It is really, and I'm really yeah. bad at doing it. I always feel like I have to talk. Yeah. But the other thing is, with The Fool, seems an invitation to me to ask the really basic question that instead of telling someone that you don't agree with what they're doing or highlighting certain implications of what they might do that you might be compelled to do because you see this person in your life you're thinking that you are just making a mess of the situation or you are going it's just like a train wreck you know we've all listened to people mm -hmm. who are in their own zone and they're just like it's like watching a train wreck but um yeah it just makes me wonder if as well as silence, another tool in the tool chest is is just literally playing the fool and kind of acting like, well, was asking you know, the questions, isn't asking it? the really fundamental questions mm. that aren't cutting, that are are really innocent in a way. And yeah. if you can find, if I can find that place, that's beyond judgment and kind of thinking what they should do, and instead just asking, maybe that's another way of. Using the fool. It is. If you think um, Socrates and the Socratic method, that's mm. exactly what he, he... That was his method of ascertaining or bringing people around. So instead of going and being a, a preacher and, you know, preaching to people, he just asked questions. And his questions led that own person to their own thinking and realisation. Um, and he often kind of took on the role of the fool. the fool, yeah. You know, the way that he dressed, he was unkempt and, you know, he didn't, it's all sort of, you know, yeah. He just was not what you would think a philosopher, so the wisest man in the... Socrates <laughs> exactly. was the fool, but yeah, but no, that's, I That's exactly the understand. position that he played. Yeah. And where you're coming from as well, I think, again, if you, if you're good, good at asking, I call it impactful questions, and I'm not saying that you make the, in fact, the more simple the question is in terms of its syntax, the better, and if you stay away from asking why, the better, Just because the why makes people get defensive and defend their position, whereas you're trying to get them to explore, so if you stay away from the why question and use the other W's and the H, I find that you help and you lead people to the place that they wanted to go anyway, without you imparting any information, so um, I know I'm kind of yeah, into no, the sort of co yeah. coach realm, but that's what we do as coaches. So, because a question doesn't impart knowledge, 
Yeah. And therefore, it just opens it. up space, which is, I suppose, in a way, what the. That's all it is. Yeah. And you can say very little, but you can help a person get to very deep insights without you having said a whole lot. Just asking a couple well placed questions. Yeah. So that's when I know I've had a really good coaching session when I've maybe only asked two questions and they've spent two hours talking and I've only said two sentences and it's good. <laughs> All right, I like Thanks it. Thanks for that. Yeah, that was really good for me to think through these things. Yeah. Embrace yeah. the fool. Embrace the fool, absolutely. And I think I'm kind of in the fool kind of mode. So this came up at about the right time-ish for me, as I said, because I fit between the two, the sort of musician and the fool. In fact... Before you even ask this question, look what's on my cover. And, oh. In fact, I'll, I'll stop this because we're at the end here. <laughs> and I'll show, I'll show you what's on the cover of my iPhone. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's the full tarot card. All right, so that's been fantastic exploration of the fool as an archetype. And again, just as a, as a question to the audience, for the listeners, is how does the fool archetype uh, manifests itself in your uh, lives let us know in the comments so we'd love to hear what you have to say on that that space and thanks for joining us yes